For me, fashion is a verb. So it's too fashion. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis with Claire Press. Join me every week as we look at sustainability, ethics, and the business and madness of fashion. Hello again. Thank you for being here. Thought I might have lost you. I'm sorry I keep disappearing. I've been on my book tour. It's been fun though. If any of you came to the lovely events we've been having around Australian cities, then thank you. And for everyone who is still around listening to the show, double thank you. (laughs) Okay, it is COP time again. COP stands for Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, UNFCCC. They love an acronym at the UN, hey? (laughs) This one is the 28th conference since the first one was held in Berlin in 1995. And it's happening in Dubai at the end of November until December the 12th, 2023. And if you're listening to this after the fact, it is still going to be relevant because these conferences are a massive deal. Officially, this one is billed as a milestone moment when the world will take stock of its progress since the Paris Agreement, and they've dubbed it the first global stock take. As usual, it feels both increasingly urgent and controversial. Urgent, well, climate change you might have noticed, is already here. Extreme weather, sea level rise, you don't need me to tell you that. The IPCC, though, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, has been telling us and continues to do so. You probably remember the headlines around their sixth assessment report back in 2021, which called a code red for humanity. I'm afraid to say that we are way off keeping warming below 1.5 degrees and the IPCC warns of a rapidly narrowing window of opportunity. Okay, too controversial. Well, take your pick. Is it how many private jets go to the meeting? (laughs) So annoying that, isn't it? How many brands use it for marketing reasons? Or the number of fossil fuel lobbyists that get involved. And this year's conference, big controversy here, the president is Dr. Sultan Al-Jabba, who is also the head of Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. Hmm. Now, he says the energy companies have to play an increasing role, but I don't know. What do you think his priorities are? No surprises that he favours the phrase phase down of fossil fuels over phase out. And you're going to hear my guest this week reference that. As one climate activist told Euronews, you wouldn't invite arms dealers to lead peace talks. So why let oil executives lead climate talks? Fair point. Nevertheless, these conferences do matter and global agreements to tackle climate change are vital. You know, this isn't a hard news commentary podcast, so I'm going to leave the politics there. But I hope that my guest, Pacific climate activist Flora Vano, will bring this to a level you can relate to. Flora is a new Vanuatu woman, and she's also ActionAid Vanuatu's country manager. Her work is about building a woman's movement for climate action and gender equality in her country. And it's super inspiring, as is the way she talks about her connection to the oceans which is reflected in so many islander communities around the world, right? And it's beautiful. I think we can learn so much from that. If you're listening in Australia, it's also personal, because as Flora says, our island neighbours are not the ones emitting all this climate change-causing pollution. That is us. But they bear the brunt, right? 
I mean, think about Tuvalu across the way, ultra low lying. It's projected to become uninhabitable by the end of the century, thanks to sea level rise. And this year, and you'll hear Flora talk about this, Vanuatu experienced twin cyclones just 48 hours apart. We talk about these things being one in 100 year occurrences. Not so. But wherever you are around the world, Flora's message about power shifts and accountability is really important. She says, now is the time to tap into the traditional knowledge of indigenous local women and communities and their wisdom. She says that is how we can create a brighter future for generations to come. I just say we met actually Flora and I at this lovely exhibition of photography by my friend Ray Begley in Sydney. And Ray's work these days is all about the oceans and connecting us to the wonder of them. But she used to be a big deal fashion PR here. I'm always looking for the fashion angle and Flora loves an outfit too. And we talk about that. And there's another one, actually. So on Saturday, there's an ActionAid event happening in Melbourne. She's going to be talking there before heading off to the COP. And they're featuring a clothes swap. Because as you know, dear listener, fashion is a great connector. And when Flora heads to the COP, she'll be carrying with her the demands of the 9,000 strong Women I Tok Tok Tugata, which means women talking together. And it's a network of women in Vanuatu that's demanding gender equality, and climate justice. Want to help? Check the show notes for more and actually you can start by sharing this episode and listen in next week. We really will be back next week. All right, let's meet Flora Vano. Welcome to the Wardrobe Crisis podcast, Flora Vano. Where are we? Let's start by explaining this situation we find ourselves recording in. We are inside the office of... Um Action Aid Australia in a very small, looks like a Harry Potter closet. <laughs> it does. <laughs> now, we're going to have a very important conversation about climate action in Vanuatu and in the South Pacific. But we met because you're in Sydney at the moment and we were at a, a beautiful event. It was a photography exhibition launch supported by Groundswell, which is a wonderful climate action fundraising organisation here in Australia. And the work was by a photographer called Ray Begley. It was all about coral reefs. And afterwards, you spoke about your connection to the oceans. But before we get on to that, I loved your red biker jacket. Oh, thank you. Are you interested in fashion? I am interested in fashion. I really love uh, bright, outstanding colours because it can actually bring, it just added spice to where you are. And people can start talking about the design you wear to start a conversation. And actually, first impressions do allow us to decide if someone seems inviting or... And right now, you've got an amazing flower behind your ear. I think the flower, being part of my name as Flora, just connects me with nature and connects me with natural ecosystems. And I just love it. I I love Frenchipanese. Um, I had sort of a, a flower that has yellow, um, pink and red in it, and it's all in one. And it's amazing to see that flowers can have blended beautiful colours. And actually, when we talk about our connection to nature, the visual beauty of it is often the first way that people have into it. We you, feel emotional, right? Yes, 
Exactly. When, when we were at the exhibition, you talked about your connection to the oceans. I'd like to start there. Could you tell us something about your relationship with the ocean, with coasts, with mangroves in Vanuatu, where you're from? Where I'm from, ocean holds a very special part of my life. It's how I was connected with the world. We are located right at the coastal, and that's when I learned how to swim. Is they just battle me on a canoe and then just drop me off and said, swim. You said that the other day. You said everyone just immediately learns how to swim. It's like, this is almost like walking. Off you go. Yeah, off you go. And our parents didn't think twice on whether we'll be drowning. They knew instantly that we will survive that. Maybe that's just how our ancestors have thought our great-great-grandparents and our parents and to just be able to connect with the ocean is get to know. You have to know how to swim to see what's under, like coral reefs, fishes, starfish. It's amazing. It's a new world there. You, you, mm. can't, you can't compare it with the, the land. It's totally different. Mm. Vanuatu is an island nation with something like 80 different islands, right? So you're always connected to the coast. You, you said the other day, you don't have to walk very far to be immediately hitting coastline. Exactly. Um, everywhere you turn, you will have to see coastlines. And so our livelihood, our ancestors connected to the sea and we sort of get to know what they, the nature is talking to us about. They can tell us if we're in danger. They can tell us if there's a storm coming. They will speak to us. And those are the things that you might not get it in a book place or you might not be connected to if you go to school. But you have to learn it the way we learn it from the islands. Because it's also connected to how you live that you can't separate yourself from it, right? It's where you get your food from. Exactly. It's, I don't know, you tell me, talk more it's, about that. It's, it's actually how we see ourselves daily. Our daily lives evolve around it. So every day our moms will have to go and get shells, um, look for it within the mangrove. And we know the mangrove holds a significant place for fish to breed their eggs. And the reef that we know were also the places where we get to eat some certain type of fishes. And you can only find it at the reef. And you can sell it also and you can earn money. And that also is how we were being brought to get to school on making sure our fees are paid. It was because of getting resource from mm -hmm. the from the ocean. You said the other day that you can tell the difference between frozen fish and fresh oh, fish. Yes. That it's something about the spirit of it, <laughs> it just right, feels yeah. different, right? Yes. I think, yeah, I think the, the beauty of being an ocean girl is getting to know how fresh the, the seafood is because I can go down the water and just draw my line, get a fish, have it roasted just over open fire, it, lemon, that's it. It's also about balance, isn't it? Because you don't take more than you need. You have to think about what your community needs and how much is sufficiency. Exactly. We can only go in and get for enough of a family of six. You don't get more. If you had fishes, three big fish, you will, you know, you will come and cut it in half for everybody to share. What can you tell us about respecting nature and balance with nature that comes from your ancestors and your community? I think you told a story about turtles. Yes. There is a lot of 
a connection with the lives of um, sea creatures in the ocean. One of the things I'd like to talk about is turtles. Turtles is very common in most of our islands, and most of us had areas where it's turtle sanctuary, which means we get to know how many turtles have come to lay eggs, and we know um, when we got one that is being um, destroyed or been attacked, we would have to know who did it and we have to get that person in justice. And there's also some of the islands that have cultures in believing that, you know, if you wanted to have a good harvest, you have to have it with the turtles. And That's the rhythms of nature, yeah. isn't it? It's being in harmony with that. You have Yes, in being in harmony with it. And you don't just go off and start killing turtles as you want. It, it doesn't work like that. And you get to learn that turtles is something that you might, you, you, if you're seeing, you're looking after it now, you might get to have your generation to look at it in the future. But mm. if you destroy them now, you might not connect with them. And they have a lot of ways in telling you when the disaster comes. If you see turtles hatching or putting their eggs further, further away into the inland, you know that there'll be a severe storm surge that comes in mm. because they are already telling mm. us these are the signs. Flora, listening to you speak, it strikes me how disconnected many of us are, especially in cities, especially in places like we're in right now in Sydney in Australia, even though the coast is around the corner, but how disconnected we are from the rhythms and the signs of nature? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we. when you look at sea coastlines, you will connect with the plants that actually grows there, the rocks that were there that houses a lot of the mm. sea creatures. And every pattern, every, every wave, every plant have a story to tell mm. and also they can warn us. And this is how we have been monitoring it over decades to come. Okay, let's talk about what we're being warned of now. Hmm. Like many other low-lying islands, the South Pacific island nation of Vanuatu is on the front line of climate change and extreme weather impacts. Six villages, as I understand it, already on four of its islands have been relocated due to rising sea levels because the water turned so salty you couldn't drink it. And as in Australia, we know that your coral reefs are suffering. I've only been once. It was about 15 years ago. I I went, I was lucky. I went as a journalist on a lovely trip. It was so beautiful. I'll always remember actually the people, the food Mm. and the feeling that it was like a paradise. But at the moment, as I said, it's on the front lines of climate change and extreme weather. Give us a sense of what that means for your communities living there. What does it, What's happening there? Talk a bit about that. Well, in at present time now, the surge storms are coming more stronger. The cyclone are coming more intense and we are seeing that they are not having the regular patterns of coming uh, four decades after another. They are now coming almost two years apart from each other. And the recent one was just the twin that came in 48 hours. In March 2023. In March 2023. Unbelievable. I mean, there's no precedent for that, right? You, you were saying before there was a, a storm, a very famous cyclone that hit Cyclone Pam in 2015. And that was talked about as a one in 100 year event. Exactly. However, now we could see from 2015... 
only 2020 we got another one and then only 2023 you had another one so it's now coming like we might be a seeing we have to prepare more we have to do more to survive because we knew we were preparing for one we didn't know we will be hit with two i mean you don't have time to rebuild we don't have time we don't have time to rebuild We were just looking for our roofs and where our belongings went when the other one hit. We were still trying to get everything in order when the other one hit. And in saying that, we are now preparing again for another cyclone in November, cyclone season again, which means it's a sort of we are preparing, responding and recover and we prepare. Most of the people there, so I said there's around 80 islands, but most people there live in rural areas and maybe they practice agriculture, subsistence agriculture. What does it mean to have a community decimated by a cyclone? When you are living in a coastal area, well, you know, you different impacts on the coastal, different on the land one. Mostly coastal if you had backyard gardens near you. And if you live where there is also mountains, you might not want to risk going up the mountains because... You can have landslide when there's heavy rain. Not only that, when there's rain for a week or two, it won't be safe for you as a mother to walk up the mountains to get your belongings. So a lot of uh, mothers or a lot of families have done their gardens near the water. And what happened is the seawater tend to destroy the gardens. And those gardens, we were told, all of the community women and girls to plant three gardens to make sure that one garden is for them to eat, one garden is for them to uh, sell to earn money, and one garden is for them to give for disaster. And so they had these three gardens, but imagine that they were all destroyed by the seawater. And how are we managed, how can we survive if we had that damage all at once? within the two cycles. And when you when you look at it, it means your food insecurity. This is a, a protection risk for women, is food. And also the water borehole that is near, it's also filled with seawater. What would you say to people who might say, incorrectly, I would like to emphasize, oh, well, there's always been cyclones. That's what it's like to live in an island place. That's what, you know, nature is strong, whatever. We've heard that sort of statement. What would you say to that? I would like to say that, you know, climate change is something that we only get to see it and feel it every day on our daily life. We don't know the scientific part of it. And we did not know that the temperature will be more warmer and then our soil will be not fertile. And so we were doing the same practice we knew how best to adapt to the climate change to be able to have the food that we had, to be able to have clean and safe water. However, we couldn't do that if we do not know the scientific part of it. But also you've seen it change firsthand. You know, listening to you speak about the recurrence of these storm surges, you're there watching it happen. You're living with it. It's easier for those in cities far away and politicians in Canberra or wherever they may be, to not have to think about it so emotionally or so directly because they're not dealing with it. Exactly right. We will be 
a normal day, you might only have, we know that the wind is only sort of 10 to 5, well, 5 to 10 to 15 knots. That's a normal breeze, a normal inland wind. Now we are expecting 35 to 65 knots of wind, which means this is almost like a category one cyclone without even prompting us mm. that there'll be a cyclone this wind. It's just coming out from the radio, from the weather uh, station that we will have inland wind be prepared and the power range is this, which means it can blow off touch roof. It can really blow down your garden, destroy your garden if you if you do not prep your garden ready for this type of wind. Mm. It, and it unexpectedly just come, which we we don't think we should be able to handle a lot of this. We were very resilient, but then the off weather patterns actually questioned. We were questioning ourselves. Have we been cursed? What have we done to the nature? What have we done? Who is to blame for that? Because we are now getting unpredictable weather patterns which were not seen before in our ancestors' time. We are now facing. So there is uncertainty on what we have as traditional knowledge, how we know how to battle, but then the scientific of it is getting to know what's happening in the atmosphere that is destroying what we knew. Can I ask you something personal? How do you feel about this, around that issue of who is to blame and what is to blame, who is to blame and where all mm. of that lands? Well, we were... Maybe blame's the wrong word. Accountability, is that the right word? That is the right word, is accountability. For now, we know that a lot of our weather has been changing and it's been more severe than the previous one. And we knew that what we have planned for now, we, we will have to plan it different and have plan A, B, and C, which we were always having a plan A for a lot of our preparedness plan. And now we have to change. So the what is, how can we voice that concern to people out there who knew if they have contributed one way or the other, for the destructions of what we are facing. How are we going to tell them the message? Or are we not voicing it collectively? Because we are facing it and we are feeling the brunt of that every day. This is not storytelling. This is actually lives at stake. And it's my life. It's our life. It's women and girls and women with disability. And if... I'm not able to voice it, then who will? And women with disability always faces triple-time discrimination in those events. Mm. But I don't know who to blame, and I don't know who to start telling them, please stop what you're doing. Mm. Flora, thank you for speaking from the heart on this. It's, it's so powerful to hear you speak for your own experience and for the experience of your community. Yeah. It's very emotional, and it's so important that we listen and that we then try to take action to support but also mitigate these outcomes which we know are the result of very complicated geopolitical and economic conditions but we also know that there are things that can be done in 2021 Vanuatu launched a call for support for the UN International Court of Justice <laughs> you okay? yeah Thank you. I'm sorry to make you speak about it, but I'm also grateful because we, we need to hear it. 
Yeah. No, we don't. We do need to hear it. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said in his remarks, climate justice is both a moral imperative and a prerequisite for effective global climate action. Flora, you talk about the need for a gendered response. You're working with women on the ground. Why? I'm working with women on the ground because women are the forefront. They're the frontliners. They're the first responders. They are the one in my communities that they take care of us. They take care of the family, the elderly, the sick. They will be making sure that if there is food, will be enough for them before they even had a food for themselves. They will do things for others than themselves. Mm. So they, they are the one that when we work with them, we could see justice. We could see that everybody is being on board. We could tell that no one is left behind. We could tell that we can be resilient. We could tell that we can go through this disaster and we can probably go through the next. You told an extraordinary story at this event where we met, which was very um, uplifting, I thought, about the strength of women finding their voices and about women who had traditionally or just through their lives to date not felt confident to speak out, not had a role in their family unit where they would speak up because of cultural reasons, because of the way society is structured. Massive things, these. However, the work that you've been doing with ActionAid has empowered and helped so many of these women to change that story in a positive way and make it work. Thank you. That is the way, you know, I think we have come out. So most of the women being told not to speak and you are not to talk in front of men. And that is disrespectful. Patriarchal society. This is patriarchal society, which tells us that you have to be at home, do the cooking, look after the children, go do garden, go to the market, sell the food, when the money comes, it still goes to the husband. And yet we don't have, we have nothing. And, and actually no women in parliament. In no women in parliament for a good 14 years. Then we got only one that came. Yes. <laughs> like, yes, one that came. And we wanted more women because, you know, the statistic tells us there are more women than men. So if we are more, why can't our voices be heard? I think the space, the work that we did allows, create safe space for women. And when they come, they talk their issues. Not only that, but we build their confidence. Tell us about hosting early workshops when you first arrived and no one talked. <laughs> oh, my goodness. When I first arrived, we got the forum together and I was talking about introduction, how you have to introduce yourself because, you know, I'm new to the circle and everybody's new and we get to have that introduction like space. stand up and say your name and where you're stand from stand up and say your name and where you're from nope. and when I was asking no one wanted to see me everybody was looking down head down and I was like what's wrong with this did I say something off no and I was like could you please stand up and they just stand up and look down and it takes five to ten minutes just to take one word out from all she said is my name is and that's it she where couldn't were you? say and we were in Port Vila at the time, and we were doing um, sort of a, a woman-led community-based protection training. 
for the very first time with all the women. And so no one wanted to talk. And now we could see that there is a real issue in making sure, first is we have to have that voice, build up that confidence. And so we start to do women leadership training in just having to be able to speak up. So every year we will do the same thing all over again, same thing, nothing changes, just for them to be able to talk, talk. And now, after so many invest of time and patience and training, I couldn't keep the noise down. Yes. <laughs> and they were like talking and everybody wants to talk. I have to like shush. I have a sort of a music box now so I can shout to the mic in it and everybody like, yeah, oh, she's on the mic now. And it just gives them... They are looking so much looking forward to come into the circles. How many women have you met with and brought into the programs through ActionAid around climate action and community building? So around climate action and community building, we started off 2015 with 3,000. Which is ridiculously yeah, big. <laughs> big, yeah. And then 2020 with 5,000, it has increased to 5,000. And now 2023, the data has reached 9,000. I would like to give you a high five, but you are too far away. So I'll just oh. do it in my head. <laughs> <laughs> high five it is. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. but It's amazing. It's very amazing. And I think the government is now looking towards, towards that to see how they can come in. But in order to do that, we have challenges in getting to that space because I'm a female. My gender is my barrier already. Your gender is your barrier? Yeah. Mm. My gender is my barrier. I couldn't talk in a lot of places. And because it was structured only men, it was hard for me to quickly get in and safe women in places that are very much more remote and affected. Why did you do it in the first place and how did you break through to do what you're doing now? I do it in the first place is because I could see that there are spaces in which the decisions that were made by male are not inclusive of us women. And it was all about the women and they are talking on behalf of women. And I was like, no, that, that's a no-no. You don't give birth, you don't even carry someone with you for nine months, and here you are talking about the women's stuff. Did you study? Did you work in community organising in some other way? How did you do it? I used to be in the tourism sector, ah. and I got to get dropouts or even young couples in the villages, in the community, who don't even have a paper to work anywhere. But they wanted to earn money and help their small family. And so I'm um, getting them in, training them for six months with no pay, just having food, making sure they go home safe and back. But they got to learn. And after six months, giving them a reference in which they can go and apply for a, a real job. So it really comes down to, which is so elementary, isn't it? Give a woman an opportunity to earn her own income and then you change a whole family and a whole community, right? Yes. You and saw it. You did it. I did it. So and then when did you think, I'm going to do it bigger than this? <laughs> I was looking at ways on doing it in a very upscale because the tourism part, it only allows a certain amount of 
people to go through. And for me, there's a high need everywhere I'm seeing. The space that I am in did not allow that to happen. But when I enter the space where ActionAid is working and get to read the amazing work that ActionAid did in a lot of communities around the globe, I thought, well, if there are women, circles and women that are doing things like men, then I better be part of that and make it happen in my country. And <laughs> What did your mother teach you to be a strong person? My mother does really uh, played a very significant role in shaping that in me. She raised me when she was going into another new family. So everything she did was for my sake. She wanted me to have an education. Uh, at the time, my stepdad was sort of accepting, but when they had my my mother had another child from my dad that was has brought me up. I could see that it has changed and it became more difficult for mum to stand up for me in in home things. So I could see that she have to work two jobs, three jobs just to make sure that she provide for me as well. And my dream, my only escape is books. I love books and I love to connect with the books and that's my world and so I could see that not only mom was struggling but her group of friends that were there are also facing the same struggle. Was there a book that lit you up to activism (laughs) or a book about someone or someone who inspired you? I really like the book of uh, women leading like I really like um, novels uh, especially those investigation, like you, you get to know what is the problem, how do you solve it. So <laughs> I was like, oh, Nancy Drew, this really, get out. You know, so good. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is mystery, and she's a girl, and if she can do that, get to the bottom of things. Yeah, get she she get to the bottom of it, and I just lo- I will read series and series of this, and they will tell me. So are you going? Are you looking for detective roles or being in the force? I said nope. I'm just looking, she's finding, she's getting to the bottom of, I love it. of this. Sorry, you're brilliant. Okay, hang on. So let's get to the bottom of what changed in Vanuatu for groups of women who got together to support communities after extreme weather. Because you were explaining to me before about how after the cyclone, women from the south helped feed women from the north, right? And then after this kind of mass mobilization of women making a difference in a practical level, people start to go, or men start to go, oh, okay, we need you. (laughs) Yes, I think 2015, ActionAid came and we started uh, mobilizing women. And these are the times when the women are now saying we were having difficulties in reviving food what can we do best for not being in the situation again? What are the food security measures that we should take? Preparedness of food, of water, where to when we are receiving those, you know, we were beaten during this crisis by our husband. We don't know where to go. So those things emerged from 2015. And on 2020, we were moving up north. The women from the south, we went and they talked about the same experience mm. they were mm. having. And they told the women up north, we feel you. Solidarity. In solidarity, we knew exactly what you're going through. However, we have thought that we need to stand up for ourselves. So you need to tell us what are your priorities. And you need to, 
you know, we need to tell the government about this. Not only that, they also let the women know, plant three gardens. Mm. Because this is what has, you know, we did not recover faster on food in 2015. But we want you to learn that you can recover faster. Mm. And so that was the message that was passed on to the women from the south to the north. And when 2023, we got hit by twin cyclone, the women have not mobilized the whole island where they are in Malo Island and brought 40 tons of food down. Incredible. Just to give to mm. the women because they were also having that garden of disaster. One garden for their own food on the table and one is for them to sell at the market. So, In 2018, a study by ActionAid, Vanuatu and Monash University, which is in Victoria, in Australia, looked at this stuff around the impact of climate change on women in particular. And you said, women's role in responding to climate security is often overcast and misunderstood. And yet it's women's knowledge, participation and collective action that are crucial to climate mitigation and to adaption. Women are already working on the front line of building more resilient communities. That narrative, yes, and I said it and I will say it again. Women hold the traditional knowledge. Women have been the one passing the message also to the younger generation to come so they can be able to deal with what is facing in front. But it will also good to know the narratives of those from the past coming so then they can know how to merge it Mm. in their going Mm. forward. We don't know how the world is changing, but we knew that we have survived a lot of disasters. And that is with the help of nature and with the help of the collective of women talking together. So one community from one island sharing their experience and their knowledge with another community. And that is powerful. And if we can share that knowledge with other islanders in the Pacific, other countries as well. I know other countries have this traditional knowledge. It's just a way of getting it shown. What do you think then about the role of First Nations or Indigenous voices at these global tables? I mean, Mm. you were at COP27? Mm where you talked about making sure that the voices of women and girls were listened to. You're going to go to COP28, which by the time this comes out will be happening in Dubai. What's your message around voices from the countries that are on the front line of climate impacts? Well, I got, I got two messages for the world leaders. And one message is, we have a lot of losses when, we, when we're dealing with climate impacts. So we need world leaders to start looking at these losses and coming down to the community. We need resources to help us rebuild back our lives. We need the leaders to hear us and f- give us resources that will help us to battle with a lot more of that. Another thing is facing out of fossil fuel, not a face down. We don't oh, face down. The worst phrase. What is that? Mm, yeah, we don't. Yeah, we'll we share don't, some links around how that happened. Yeah, but phase down is a cop out. Yeah, at the cop. At the cop, and we. I will have to keep on telling and screaming if I have to. That facing down it means like you are not seeing my future here. I am talking because my future is on the line. Face down, it means you can still give another 
open another new place somewhere, invest. I want the aid that has been put into fossil fuel to be now transferred to communities or countries that are being victimized because of the actions that the bigger countries are doing. It's interesting you just used the word aid. Maybe we should see it that way because, in fact, all these subsidies are propping up a dead industry. Exactly. And if we can change that narrative, and I need the support of everybody listening to join me in talking to whoever you know that can influence a space and influence a country that don't know who we are. We are at the front line. Our islands are sinking because of sea level rise and we need funding resources that comes in and funded woman-led organization because the women have lit the responses in my country. We have seen the women at the frontliners and they are the first responders. So where is a problem that we can see? There are no problems. It's just channeling the funds directly to women and we can rise up and assist our communities while we are voicing our concern on fossil fuel phase out, aid not going to fossil fuel industry plus giving it to the small island states that are facing more brunt of climate change mm. impact. Let's just stand on whose responsibility that is. I'm seeing collective responsibility, but earlier we talked about, I said, who's to blame? No, let's talk about accountability. Do you see a shared responsibility in taking this action? And I'm thinking about what you just said about if you're listening to listeners. We've all got a role to play, right? We all do. And it's connected. We are connected in this universe, in this planet. Our ocean connects us. Pacific Ocean, Indian Ocean. Our land connects us. Our, our culture connects us. So one place when it changes the changes ripples down so we need collective people to start seeing where I am coming from and start joining in amplifying it mm. and accountability of wealthy countries we have a shared responsibilities we know that you drive on a lot of what is affecting our planet but please you cannot just Look at the gaining side and the riches of this place. Look at the nature. If there are no more trees, there won't be no oxygen and we can't survive. So look into the ocean because you do not destroy what is surviving you. And you do not kill what nature have done for us from day one until now. Don't kill it. Look after it because you save life if you're looking after the ocean and the nature. Thank you, Flora. This has been such a good conversation and I'm so grateful that you shared this time with us. Thank you so much, my sister. Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. You can find the show notes for each episode over on our website, www.thewardrobecrisis.com. And that's where you can also sign up for our free sustainable fashion newsletters. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'd love you to help us spread the word. Tell a friend, share on social media, or leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us on the app. You can get in touch with us on social media. The show is on Instagram, at The Wardrobe Crisis, and I'm on there too. And on Twitter, I'm at Mrs. Press.
Because I love you. Because I love you. Because I love you.